cultural history, politics, and tat. I am historian and broadcaster and clock watcher, <laughs> Dr. Cashity. And as ever, I'm joined by... Uh, my name's Dan Hancock, so I'm a journalist, author, and a vintage timepiece. Ooh. Yeah, that's right. Oh, I like it. Find me on eBay. Like, um, you, like you smell of leather? <laughs> if you like, yeah. And mahogany or whatever that line is. Um, <laughs> Yeah, we're, we're going to be talking about time today. We listeners. are going to be talking about time because it's our 50th episode. Asterisk. It's our 50th <laughs> asterisk episode of Cursed Objects. It's a huge affair. It's a it's a big anniversary. It's amazing. We, we've both got a beer open, even though it is barely lunchtime. <laughs> and um, today we're going to be reflecting a little bit on the time that has passed since we started doing Cursed Objects, we're going to be talking a little bit about how industrial capitalism uh, <laughs> sort of broke our brains forever and, yeah. and our struggle to unbreak them by yeah. freeing ourselves from the constraints of clock time. Yeah, um, uh, broadly we're going to be talking about chronopolitics, I think is the term, yeah. and it's all about how time is measured, but it's also imbued with political significance. Cool. Chrono, is I it? Think, I think. Is it not hollow? Is it not hollow the Latin for, like, holographers? Are they the people that study time? I'm trying to remember this from when I was actually doing some research <laughs> yesterday. Um, don't fact check us on that, listeners. Uh, this is a creative enterprise, ultimately, and to fact check it would be like to, like dissecting Gossamer and one... Does yeah. not dissect Gossamer. As, where have I got that from? Is that live from Withnail and I? I don't know. So? <laughs> I'm uh, really enjoying it. No, that beer's already hit you. Yeah, it, it has. Yeah, shout out to Brixton Brewery. Um, so I guess we said there was like an asterisk by our 50th episode. Because yes. as we're going to get into in this episode, time is an incredibly difficult to measure concept construct. I mean, it is a construct to begin with. But also you would think, you would imagine that um, things like podcast episodes, you just count how many there are from the beginning, right? But then <laughs> once you start getting Patreon episodes included and then like longer episodes that have been split into two, uh, two episodes, is that does that count as one episode if we're counting in terms of, in terms of how many we have? Mm -hmm. And these are all the questions, weirdly, that kind of also transcend into like our broader discussion of time. Like yeah. how do you measure time? I mean, I love that you said time it's very difficult to measure because i'm sure a lot of listeners would be like would respond to that in their brains like yeah. i did instinctively it was like no it's not <laughs> we have in so many ways of measuring time that they are forensically accurate mm. um but you are right because what we're doing is i don't know throwing a bit of a cat amongst the pigeons here and, and sort of trying to disrupt and mm. challenge kind of sort of notions of, of timekeeping as being imposed from above a lot yeah. of the time, like that, you know, historically, as we're going to discover when we get to the E.P. Thompson bit. But crucially, like, t time being very easy to measure or not easy to measure. I was watching an episode of Taskmaster recently in which people had to, the contestants had to sort of, I think, stand up when they thought 30 seconds had passed or something like that, or maybe a minute. And they all got it so wrong. Mm. Like, uh, you know, uh, and there are times when our internal body clocks can be very impressive. I, I'm sure we've all had the experience of, like, you've got a really important meeting or you've got to get to the airport, so you've got to get up at, you know, yeah. exactly 6.15 yeah. the next morning. So you set 400 alarms for mm. 6.15 and 6.16 and 6.17, and mm. you wake up at exactly 6.14 and 59 yeah, yeah, seconds. Yeah. How do we do that? That's incredible. Mm. And, yet, um, and yet for large portions, the vast majority of human history, we did not measure time by the sort of, you know, rigid ticking of the clock no. that we do today. So some of you will 
have noticed that there is a connection between today's theme and the cursed object logo. Mm. Logos are funny things. I think we often sort of stop seeing them after a while. We stop Mm. sort of, you know, our brains stop computing what's in them and we just, you know, you make a sort of association in your brain between the thing and the image. But take a look at our logo again, Mm. uh, listeners, uh, and we'll shout out Archie Bashford, our, our very good friend who designed the logo. It is inspired by, as you may or may not know, um, a very popular um, cursed image, mm. you know, from, you know, again, the genesis of this sort of, this entire project and podcast in a way, uh, which is the Beans Clock, mm. which I don't think I knew about, actually, until you introduced me to it, Kasha, as, yeah. a, as, as a relevant thing for this podcast. Yeah, when we were, when when we were starting off the podcast, I mean, we should also just say that we did discuss it briefly in, I think, episode four of our first series. So I think it was the one on militarised toys. We yes. discussed the idea of the beans clock a little bit there and how, like, time is complex. But we really mm. thought that it deserved a full-length episode because there's just so much to say about it. Mm-hmm. And I think that you'll find that theme across all of our podcasts, actually, where we talk about the complexities of time in various different ways, certainly in the one that we did on the Olympics is also mm. about how we measure time or how we think about time. So there are like lots of like recurring themes of time throughout the podcast. But yeah, I really think that like exploring it a little bit more here is really important because when we started off this podcast, I, I was and I still am really interested in how in the concept of memory, right? So mm. how present societies use a sense of the past to shape narratives in the present mm-hmm. for political means, right? But also how they shape narratives of the future and how as a process and part of that, like time mm. is mobilized. So that's kind of where my thinking started off. And I was part of this really amazing collective at Brighton University. Um, shout out the Memory Studies Collective. Or Bright- <laughs> I think we're called Brighton Memory. Oh, I can't remember. Something quite long and like convoluted. I mean, apt that you can't remember the name I know. Of, your, <laughs> of your historical memory study. We're group. like the Brighton Memory Studies Collective. and Or something. Or something. And... Um, <laughs> And well, you know these these names. It's hard because like it's always hard to put a name to something that like organically developed out of like our shared interest in the idea of memory theory. And then we kind of thought memory theory doesn't really take things far enough. Like, what is the role of time? And like, mm. how are temporalities part of how we experience life? Right. So mm. like, there's memory, yes, but memory is also inherently related to temporality. So we became really interested in complex temporalities. And this is something that, like, I remember in, like, the early stages of our friendship, I was, like, talking about temporalities at you, and you didn't look at me like I was mad. And I was like, oh, my God, he's a keeper. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's true. I mean, you know, if you'll forgive us a certain amount of self-indulgence, like, the conversations that led to this podcast were often around things like historical memory, because while I haven't studied it in the in universities, like, like Kasha has, though I do have a history de- one history degree going back to the depths of time and undergrad degree, I, in my adult life as a journalist, become very interested in Spanish historical memory, particularly. Mm. It's really, you know, British history, or every nation's historical memory and the way it's constructed, mm. how ideological it is, mm. uh, the way that narratives created in the present day about mm-hmm. the past reflect the politics and kind of society of, of the time, right? Mm-hmm. And how they're usually wrong. I mean, that's the, <laughs> that's the big kind of unsaid sort of thing about historical memory. It's usually nonsense, but why is it nonsense? Mm. And why is it being constructed in that particular way? Or why has it been distorted in that particular way? And as such, the beans clock is... Yeah, is a perfect it's emblem. It's perfect. Because, like, you know, how we understand time, I think what it does, like, we said this in that, in that kind of initial episode, uh, episode number four of our first series, you know, that... The, the beans complicate how we see time. It's not just that it's like a viscerally uncomfortable image because beans, are we disgusting. all are disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> but also because it kind of shines a light, I guess, on like how we understand time to be normative and also how like we can defend time because it's part of our everyday experience mm. so vehemently, right? So like... What do you mean defend time? I think defend time in the sense that like there is a very specific type of time politics that operates in the west and that is that time operates and moves like an arrow so it's like the march of progress time Mm -hmm. right it's kind of like whiggish in a sense that it goes through from past to present to future and i think this like you know me and you are really fascinated in this idea that actually time doesn't always function that way so like often you are like for example um if like a loved one or some or something someone dies like you know when prof died i would constantly be reliving 
the memories with him almost mm. like I kept expecting him to like walk through the door the other day I thought he like brushed my foot and obviously oh, he didn't wow. because you know he's Prof ghost exactly and like you know also the idea of like ghosts as well is really interesting because it's all about how a sense of the past is like urging you to do something in the present it, so, it, and he's present yeah in the yeah. present. Yeah. so you know it's, it's interesting actually in preparation for this I was doing some reading around time and and I was reading an article about how in a I think it's a Pacific island how they conceptualize time is that the future is actually behind them and instantly mm. i read that and i was just like no well it can't be how can it be how does that work and the thing is i'm not going to explain to you how that works because i can't get my tiny brain around it. you can't get and, your sort of yeah your disciplined conditioned western exactly. capitalist brain around exactly. it. the idea that, yeah the idea that the I'm, I'm sure i've sort of heard that there are, there are a number of sort of communities civilizations in the world where the past is a sort of location like yes. it's a geographical yes. location and yeah. the future is, a, is another one. And these, anything that sort of disrupts the uh, normative way of thinking about time that we are sort mm -hmm. of, you know, fed from, from birth or whatever mm -hmm. that we are conditioned into uh, in order to be effective, you know, turning up at school on time and t turning up at work on time, which is the sort of subject of the E.P. Thompson essay, mm -hmm. basically, that we'll get onto later. Um, anything that disrupts that and complicates it is really interesting. Kasha referred to Whiggish history briefly um there that's w-h-i-g-g-i-s-h if you want to google it um it's sort of this very um strong current in the studying and writing about british history that sort of began in the 19th century that basically kind of suggests that there is a very orderly natural sequence of events that leads to gradually mm. um to like a good way of thinking about it is in in british sort of political history like we don't have revolutions in this country mm. we slowly evolve we have a great reform act in 1932 we have another one in 1860 did i say 19 1832 <laughs> another one in 1867 another one in 1884 five and that we slowly calmly with with um with great judiciousness and rational thought and sort of almost consensus mm. um led by the sort of smart people at the top move through some processes to arrive at liberal democracy mm. in the 20th century. And, of course, we did have a revolution in this country. It, it happened in 1649. Um, but that's not the subject of today's conversation. <laughs> the point is that there is an ideological interest in telling the story of how events follow one yeah. another, yeah. which is which is actually could do with a lot of yeah. <laughs> complicating, problematizing, revising. You know, we've... Uh, We've, I think, said in our episode with Charlotte Riley that they all quoted the line that all history should be revisionist history, otherwise it's just photocopying, yeah. which is a David <laughs> Olasuga line. Um, but, you know, that is the point of the study of history is to throw beans at the clock. Yes. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think in a way, right, it's quite a tricky one for us to do because time is so... It lacks material. It lacks materiality, right? It's, it's floaty. Like, it's, yeah, it's like floaty and hard to pin down and difficult yeah. to understand and get your head and around. Sometimes it's, it goes bendy and stretchy. It, yeah, and it's like you know, it's, <laughs> like in the pandemic. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which will which will definitely come on to about how we experience time in different ways. Mm. But I think you know to come back to that idea of how we defend time or how we conceptualize time. You know this about me, Dan, but like listeners probably don't know this about me. That I, on my phone, the time is always an hour ahead. So, always. <laughs> so. I actually had forgotten that. You absolute mentalist. Um, yeah. Right, yeah, I know, I know. An hour ahead. An hour Not ahead. Not three minutes ahead. As if like I'm on the continent or yeah, something, right? You're always on holiday. I'm always on holiday. And the thing is, is that, like, and honestly, when people pick up my phone to check the time or whatever, they're like, what's wrong with you? And like, and a reasonable you know, question. But yeah, yeah, I mean, and, and I. I have to explain in that moment that, you know, this isn't really about activism. This isn't about me practicing what I preach. About <laughs> I love the idea of my <laughs> But what it is about is that I guess I found at times, I think we've all found like the rhythms of life under late capitalism quite challenging. Mm -hmm. Certainly when I was doing my PhD, I found it impossible to wake up. Like mm. I just found it so hard to have this idea that like, you're a self-starter. You've got to get up and go. Mm -hmm. You've got to wake up. You've got yeah. to do this. You know, for, like almost as if I think the, the issue, especially if you're freelance or you're doing a PhD or whatever, is this idea that time is your own to do to do what you see fit with. Right. Which is great, which is really great because it's not measured 
by capital. It's not measured yeah. by company. By your you, boss. By your boss, right? When you go to a when you go to work, you measure how long you've been there, how mm. long your hour, how long your lunch break is, etc., mm-hmm. etc. Et you know, and you kind of take that time back as as and when you can. You know, like lots of people like sneaking off to go to like the loo or to make a coffee to like grab back their own like personal bits of time from the yeah, working yeah, day. Yeah, yeah. But when you're a freelance or like like I said, doing a PhD. Time is very much in your control, right? Mm-hmm. How you measure your own experience of time is up to you. And I found it actually really impossible. I found it really tricky. Some people, to... I think, I wonder if some people are more or less well inclined to that yeah, sort of yeah. self-management of time. I, yeah. I, I've been freelance for like most of my entire career yeah. uh, because I just cannot stand getting out of bed in the morning to go and work in a particular place. <laughs> I'm not like, I don't get out of bed at 11 as a freelancer. Like, I, you know, reasonably good at getting, uh, uh, it's just I don't want to do it for someone else. Yeah. <laughs> Essentially, yeah. like, I can't, I can't, I'm not very good with routine. Mm. And, 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 and I do have friends who've sort of quit jobs to go freelance and, like, a month later been just sort of just with a look of sheer panic in their face yeah. told me I can't fucking take this yeah. I cannot take yeah. this I'm applying for jobs I'm going to go straight back into the nine to five yeah because um, this is the thing do you like, think you're more attuned to the rhythms of like a regular nine to five or not uh, I don't having done both. the PhD yeah I don't I honestly I don't how I how I see my relationship to like a very specific form of capitalized time has, has shifted mm. now and and this is kind of a overhang of when I was more freelance I guess the thing is is that in giving myself the extra hour I felt in a way like I was hacking time <laughs> that sounds we like all... I've just eaten an edible or something no no you sure. know what I mean no we all it love to like... we all love to like you use the phrase your time is your own before, yeah. earlier which I which I I love there's so many phrases and idioms that we, that we have about yeah about yeah. time the passage of time spending time or yeah. wasting time you saving know. time so, yeah you yeah know. so even but, in our metaphors our metaphors are not um solid right around mm. time they they adapt they adjust so like for me i just felt like okay i can't wake up at 8 a.m mm. but i can wake up at 8 a.m if i think it's 9 a.m oh wow <laughs> and there's a bit of your lizard brain you know the bit in your brain where like everyone's like Which is a you... lizard, yeah. yeah like a little <laughs> tiny lizard <in> that's <laughs> like comes out whenever you're like going like out. a cuckoo clock yeah <laughs> <laughs> out of the top of your forehead sure but like you know there is a part of you there is a part of me i guess well everyone always asks me like well you know it's an hour ahead so like does it work does it yeah, does it yeah. wake you up early Every single time. Yeah. Honestly, I still yeah. get confused about it. And I'm still like, oh, what? And you think that you get <laughs> I used to it. Never with do. your own head every single morning without <laughs> fail. And that, that, and you never get used to it. Because I've, I've been one of the people that sort of sets my watch three minutes fast or five, even up to five minutes fast. Not watch. I haven't worn a watch in years. We'll get to that in a, in a moment. But my the time on my phone I've set to be fast so that I don't miss trains, for example. So it's like the same thing though, right? No, it's the same thing, but that, the question that your friends ask you, like my answer to that is, no, this doesn't work because I know that it's five, I know it's exactly three minutes fast. So I know that I've got another three minutes before I need to leave but, the house. But you never, but that's, you but never that's, get used to it, I think. Not really, not properly. Yeah, you're just making life harder for yourself. But you're, you're not, Kasha, because like, <laughs> I, I, it's working for you. Well, this, the is, this is it. I enjoy it as a system. I think, mm. it, I think it works really well. Um, well, I'm glad it works for you. The, the, um, <laughs> you said that in a way. It's like I'm glad that works. For you. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Also, it's fucking insane. That sounds... I, I know, I know, I know. It's strange, but this is also what I mean. You're defending normative time. Mm. You're defending your normative understanding and conception of how time works. Right? Yeah. And time is about how time works for you mm. as much as for anyone else. Yes, this is true. And the fact that you you think you think that you're hacking time, I think, is really interesting because it. It makes me sound like I'm like a Bitcoin investor. Yes, it does. You're, I've already. I'm <laughs> aware of Stephen all... Bartlett's diary of a CEO. I tell you what I do. I don't wake up at five a.m. I just put my <laughs> put my clock and have All the other CEOs yeah. are getting up. Yeah, getting up at three a.m. to go to their like personal gym and sort of. <laughs> You know, buy buy six more companies before breakfast. This is but, what but broke bitches do. They yeah, just, yeah. They just Your, Yours is the broke bitch version of CEO kind of CEO culture. Um, well, yeah. so I guess one final thing is I want to say about this is I introduced myself as a clock watcher. Yeah. In the introduction, and it's because do you remember when we were getting this podcast started? 
before we came up with Cursed Objects, I was like, you know, we were just trying to find a name and one mm. of the names that was going around was The Clock Watchers because I think there's a film called The Clock Watchers. Oh, really? Yeah, and it was yeah. all about, I just it just came to me and it was all about, you know, like watching the clock when you're in your dead out nine to five job I think well that's what yeah that's what clock watching means it's on my I've got quite a long list of kind of phrases that are associated with basically yeah the disciplinary function of timekeeping in work in nine to five nine to five Mm. jobs but that's that's the ultimate one isn't it you know Mm. um you know another key one is like time theft the Mm. idea that which is you know it was brought to mind slightly when you said time hack you know I've hacked time because the thing is you and I, I think, would like to think of ourselves as sort of freed as much as is possible mm. from the constraints of sort of, you know, timekeeping as a, a capitalist sort of disciplinary mm-hmm. uh, function. But we can't be completely free of it. You know, we live in this world. We live in the neoliberal world mm-hmm. as much as we may fight against it. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm guilty of, say, of, you know, having... I always have productivity guilt. Like, I always... I'm always like I know I, I know you do yeah because I will text Kasha and say like I haven't done nearly enough today ah you know like I'm feeling so bad about it and yet you know the sort of rational anarcho-socialist part of my brain is um is always saying no this is good like go for a walk in the on the middle of a Tuesday morning this is why you're freelance you have no holiday pay no sick mm. pay no pension you should be freer mm. and you should exploit that freedom and enjoy it mm-hmm. um but while I'm having that lovely walk around Peckham Rye <laughs> on a Tuesday morning, a small part of my brain is like, fuck, I've done enough work, mm. you know. You mentioned freelance time before, and there's a bit, I'm going to introduce the E.P. Thompson essay now, actually, I think. So uh, E.P. Thompson, in 1967, writes this seminal essay called Time, Work Discipline and Industrial Capitalism. Uh, it is available to read online for free, mm. the PDF. We'll post a link in the show description. Uh, so much fun. Like loads of poems from the 17th century about people who, you know, got stranded in the fields and pissed off with their master or whatever. And about um, the the ultimate narrative of this 45-ish page essay is that the process of industrialization and the creation of industrial capitalism, particularly in Britain, maybe slightly latterly in France, correlates very strongly with the introduction of what is generally called clock time. Um, there are other ways of telling time, which we will get to, sundials and mm. hourglasses and looking at how far the shadows have been cast on the barn floor as you're doing your threshing, that sort mm-hmm. of thing. So in the feudal era, no one had a clock or a watch, um, certainly not an ac- anything remotely like an accurate one. Um, but the, the the basic message, and it's one that I'm sure a lot of listeners will be familiar with broadly already, is that the introduction, the you know, mass urbanisation, mass industrialization of the workforce in England in the sort of latter stages of the 18th and then definitely in the 19th century are the reason that clock time became, and timekeeping and punctuality became so important because you had to clock on, clock off. You needed to not be doing time theft uh, because it, every second that is wasted... Is, is a second uh, that, you know, could be generating more profit mm-hmm. for the bosses. So basically, time is a tool of capitalism. That's mm-hmm. that's the ultimate message. Freelance time, on the other hand, is a lot like feudal peasant time, arguably. I, <laughs> this, is, this is what I got. Another one of many amazing... I love this essay. I've never read it before. Kasha told me to read it. I got the best text message from you. <laughs> it was honestly... I love it so much. It made my day. Just... I fucking love... Fucking spell, <laughs> misspell, and love in caps. <laughs> the E.B. Thompson essay, honestly, one of the best things I've ever read. And I loved it so much. It made my day. <laughs> I'm so pleased. Day. <laughs> I'm so pleased. So um, this is E.P. Thompson describing peasant time. Social intercourse and labour are intermingled. The working day lengthens or contracts according to the task. And there is no great sense of conflict between labour and passing the time of day. And then, and then 18th century artisans, likewise, much like the peasants, he says, quote, The work pattern was one of alternate bouts of intense labour and of idleness, wherever men were in control of their own working lives. That's me. Mm. Like, when I work hard, I'm working really hard as a freelancer. Mm. And on, you know, Tuesday mornings, or I'm going for a walk around Peck of Rye, mm-hmm. or, like, on Friday afternoon. Having a nice lunch. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, this idea that... Um, 
work was accomplished and that particularly like people slacked off at the beginning of the week mm. in the, this is the pre-industrial area I'm talking about sorry to be clear um that the you know quote unquote natural rhythms of mm. working life that were then adulterated and you know regimented and disciplined by the functions of industrial capitalism um, and indeed late period neoliberal capitalism that we have today before all that the way that people behave for ages was that they would get the work done they'd find the time to do it and otherwise they they might doss about you mm-hmm. know like mm-hmm. it doesn't mean that everyone lived the fucking life of riley i'm going to just issue a big kind of caveat here for i think all of our discussions about the ep thompson stuff which is we should not fall into the trap of fetishizing or even in I think a lot of cases orientalizing other ways of timekeeping yeah. and seeing that like oh there's an indigenous community in South America in, yeah. so somewhere in South America that you know only work on when the moon is in you know mm. on the, in the like this quadrant or whatever um, isn't life simpler there aren't these simple people better like we've got to be careful of doing that people were exploited under feudalism obviously that was integral to it um but there were modes of work that existed even while the exploitation the hierarchical nature of society uh was as robust if not more Mm. robust than Mm. it is today well because that's one of the main critiques i think of ep thompson's work the idea of that if you are closer to nature, you are that that was somehow better. And I'm not saying that that mm. means that industrialization wasn't so bad, right? It was awful. It was horrible. Mm-hmm. It was like an incredibly violent process. Lots of people died. Lots of people lost limbs. Lots of communities were torn apart. So I'm not saying. Obviously, I'm not saying that. But there is an idea. There's a kind of. Uh, I don't want to say fetishization of being closer to the rhythms of nature in mm, the piece, but yeah. like sometimes some of the critiques are like it does yeah. stray into that a little bit. And yeah. and also there's a massive gender component as well yeah, of some yeah, of the yeah. critiques of E.P. Thompson stuff, which is like there's, men, men would work the fields and then leave. And then that was the end of the day. And it's yeah, like, yeah. oh, yeah, no, because I think a lot of like women were also doing stuff and then also raising children and washing stuff. And it was really horrible. No, no, no. <laughs> the, which actually he does mention domestic labor, but in a way that's like really demeaning. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, oh, yes, mid 20th century Marxists. They, uh, <laughs> they, uh, they weren't perfect people, were they? <laughs> like, um, but yeah, there's, so yeah, there's some definitely some critiques to be made. I think that's that's really yeah well put. Having said, and like you know, child labour existed before industrial capitalism. It wasn't created with the chimney sweep in like eighteen twenty three or whatever. Well, like, I, I think that's I think that's an interesting idea about how how historians how we imagine what time was like before time we we believe time to be have been invented. Do you know what I mean? Like, what was it like before the Industrial Revolution? How mm. was time measured? Mm. You know, it's almost like occupies this kind of like mystical land. It and, seems like, mystical yeah, reading yeah, his yeah. essay. Like it yeah. does, it is easy to fall into the, the trap of being like, ah, oh, the simpler life when, yeah. you know, men would lounge about on a hay bale until it was tight, until they were like, oh, fuck, we really ought to move these hay bales. Yeah, and, yeah. Then, they, and, then, and then they like, had to do it. Yeah. But he does say that like, so one thing, a phrase that I had completely forgotten, I'm sure I had heard it at some point before, I wonder if you remember it, Cash, because you haven't read this essay quite as recently as me, i.e. this morning. Um, do, you remember, <laughs> do you know what Saint Monday is? No. Oh, right. So he explained, I had to Google it. He, he refers to it like we all ought to know what it is, which maybe in 1967 people did. I don't know. Um, Saint Monday is the idea that you basically, that basically of mass absenteeism on Monday because everyone's hung over from the weekend. Oh my God, I love that and it's, so much. Isn't it incredible? What's the phrase uh, again? Saint Monday. Oh my God. Because it's almost like, I guess it's ironising the sort of like the sanctity of this basic, you know, withdrawal of labour. Because, because I love because getting drunk a on a Sunday. Yeah, you do. But then Mondays are so hard. Yeah. And I'm like, why do we have Mondays? I'm not sure Just how much... <laughs> I do wonder how much they were getting drunk on a Sunday in, in a deeply religious... A much more religious era. <laughs> but obviously they were also working on Saturday because until yeah. trade unions yeah, like lobbied for us to have a weekend, there was no weekend. The working week ran from Monday to Saturday and Sunday was the day of rest. But because you only had one day of rest... Monday was often a little, like, fell by the wayside a little, uh, and hence St. Monday was something that, you know, the industrial, sorry, the boss class, because there were bosses before industrial capitalism, they were just, Mm. you know, bosses of a cottage industry which was making shoes or whatever, Mm. you know, like, with 10 employees rather than, like, Mm. 10,000. There was a religious, another thing I got from the E.P. Thompson essay, and and this is the notion that, like, there is a puritanical, Presbyterian, or otherwise Protestant Christian aspect 
to uh, the disciplining, the disciplinary function of timekeeping under industrial capitalism. Definitely, you know, verifiably true. There's a large part of that. But again, that wasn't invented in like the 19th century. People were being sanctimonious in a religious way about mm -hmm. about about idleness for a long a long way back before that. Also, churches did churches did perform a kind of function of timekeeping. Of course, so ring, like, ring den bells. Ring yeah. den bells. Yeah. When they were ringing den bells, they were performing a function of timekeeping. <laughs> now I feel right? silly. <laughs> <laughs> but also, I'm fascinated by how um, you sometimes get it in. Uh, kind of like old phraseology in terms of how we measure time. Often it's like measured in um, in relation to like how long it takes to like thresh the corn or like chew yes. this thing or boil an egg or whatever. Do you know I've, what I mean? I've got some cracky examples for you. Oh so I'm God. very glad you brought that up. Um, so I'm going to just, yeah, some other examples from the E.P. Thompson essay. In Madagascar, time might be measured by a rice cooking, which is about half an hour. Yeah. So that's one rice cooking. Yeah. When will I see you? Oh, about a rice cooking. Um, I love that. Or, or, or the frying of a locust, which means like a moment. Oh. So like, yeah, how long is it going to take? Uh, about the frying of a locust. The Cross River natives, that's E.P. Thompson's phrase, not mine. The Cross River natives were reported as saying, the man died in less than the time in which maize is not yet completely roasted, which is less than 15 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> that's, which is a really cumbersome phrase. Yeah, yeah, um, it is. I mean, um, so thank God we've got clocks, right? Yeah, because these... <laughs> so you just say 12.30. These are very imprecise, <laughs> but the very lack of precision is what's so yeah. interesting about them in yeah. a way. The cooking time of an egg could be judged by an Ave Maria said aloud. I love that. <laughs> I love that so much because it is like that, right? It is yeah, about yeah. like how we... Like, I think the compulsion to measure how long things are and how long they take, it shows mm -hmm. that there is something quite like societal about that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've got the... I've saved the best for last. Okay. And this is, uh, well, well, you know, some of those examples that E.P. Thompson gave were from various um, sort of more far-flung parts of the world from where we sit right now. The, the ultimate example is an English one, and it is found in Shakespeare. How long would you say pissing while is? Because <laughs> that is a phrase that's found in Shakespeare, and a pissing while, it just means a short amount of time. Oh, my the God, I love it. The amount of time it would take to take a piss. Oh, my God, I love Isn't it. Isn't that incredible? Oh, my God. What a phrase. I'm going to start using pissing Before you while. had a watch, before you had a smartphone. Well, who needs one now? Yeah, when you could just be like, yeah. Um, Shakespeare yeah. hacked time. Probably that... <laughs> It's, it's going to take me about four pissing whiles, and then, um, and then I'll be ready with you. Yeah. Absolutely incredible. Yeah, it's full of like amazing details like that and phrases like there's another phrase that is is uh, that sort of when clocks and watches become more common and he charts very sort of quite forensically like the uh, how commonplace watches became, how the technology evolved. Often it was quite bad. They mm. would get out of sync. You know, people would boast of you know watchmakers would boast that their you know their clock sort of their watches only lost sort of. A minute in a year or whatever like you know mm. so the, they got they get more and more accurate over time i love the phrase uh i can't remember where it's from that the clock is known as quote the devil's mill what a Ooh, great what a yeah. great expression that is and it's one of many that's almost like a great counterpoint to this sort of piety that is often used around mm. around good timekeeping you know mm. that, that you are wait how does it go again devil makes idle work, work, work. hands <laughs> The devil makes work for idle hands. Yeah, exactly. So the correlation, <laughs> and when I say exactly, it's because I could not remember a word of that phrase. But yeah, that's what I mean. You know, this correlation between between piety and being a man of God uh, mm. and good timekeeping is one that very much persists today. It's also really persists in artwork. Like whenever you see Ooh. clocks, usually it's like a symbol of death or like a symbol of like the end of time. Yes. So like, you know, yeah, it's like a motif throughout like Western art. Yeah. So like, yeah, this, that's so true. Hourglasses, mm -hmm. sundials, often, yeah, like cinematically speaking as well, the mm. like the hourglass running out of time is yeah. like, is huge, profound kind of allegorical meaning. Mm -hmm. um, we can all picture the figure of death in his sort of black cloak, skeletal, holding a scythe and, yeah. Uh, and an hourglass. I was going to say a swatch watch, but yeah, sure. Yeah, <laughs> no, 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 it is an hourglass, isn't it? Yeah, that's, that's the right one. I'm, I'm really interested in, like, more broadly, how the concept and use of time is political across time, space and culture. 
Mm-hmm. So one of the things I found really fascinating, I mean, it just reminded me you just saying that, saying that there about clocks being out of sync and stuff. Certainly during um, various moments in like the Roman calendar, for example, time and, and calendars and the measuring of time actually became, it was like seen as like a corrupt practice because wow. new emperors would just like add on add on bits to the calendar to suit themselves to suit themselves of course like you know they'd add on an extra month augustus august do you know Mm. what i mean or or whatever it might be so how we like look at like calendars for example can't remember the exact period um but like calendars came to like represent quite a like a jaded understanding of politics the sign that like politics had gone wrong and i think it's fascinating that across time space and culture Whenever a new regime has come in, they always try to change the calendar. If it's like a year zero moment, so like Julius Caesar, Augustus, like literally every dynasty, like dynasty founding, like a Chinese emperor has Uh done it, French Revolution... Lenin, Pol Pot. Did Lenin do it as well? I didn't even remember that. I mean, like... The French French Revolution, they, yeah, they... There's a... I think there's a Twitter account that will tell you the day every day in the French Revolutionary calendar... And it's like... What a phenomenal use of time, <laughs> yeah, right? yeah, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're talking about how time politics operate. I think they tried to make it metric. Ah. Which is... There are certain... Like the moon and the earth and the way that they move in the universe yeah. and the sun, yeah. you know, do do give us something to work with. They do. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, you can tell I'm really an expert in this. I'm, but, I'm, I'm not a watchmaker. But I just love that idea that, like, you know... When a new regime comes in, yeah. you would imagine that they've got bigger fish to fry, right? Okay, yeah. I've just taken over the country. Yeah. Sure, we've chopped off the head of the king. Yeah. Right, okay, what's first on the agenda? Change the calendar. Which you shows how I important mean? it exactly. is. It shows how exactly. political time is. Exactly. And in fact, this still goes on to this day. In 2007, for example, Hugo Chavez, as president of Venezuela, put Venezuela's clocks back by a half an hour. <laughs> Not an hour, <laughs> half an hour. Yeah, because like, me and him had been chatting and he was like, how do you have time? And I was like, listen, I've been And you were like, listen, this. Hugo. <laughs> Mira, he said. A bit of Spanish for you there. Um, but yeah, by, by presidential decree, the country stepped back in time 30 minutes in a one-off adjustment to its relationship with Greenwich Mean Time. It would put Venezuelans biologically more in tune with the sun, Chavez explained. Quote, it's about the metabolic effect where the human brain is conditioned by sunlight. Some scientists endorse the time change as rational given that Venezuela's Caribbean coast was wide enough for two time zones. A handful of other countries, including India, Afghanistan and Iran, have 30-minute variations from the usual hourly difference from GMT. Nepal, Nepal has a 15-minute one. I had no idea about this. No, no, me neither. Isn't that, isn't that fascinating? Like, you just assume... And it does seem insane to me occasionally, but also a useful reminder of uh, Britain's historic role as an mm. imperial power that... All of time, all yeah, in the entire world, is sort of regulated <laughs> from somewhere near me in southeast I London. What well, the like's just in the I park know, there? I know, it's like bonkers. it's it's you cannot be ignorant of Britain's role in the yeah. historic role in the world when you look at something like that. Yeah, it's bonkers. It's and so so so. There insane. was actually a French anarchist in 1894 who tried to blow up the Greenwich Mean Time. The like the observatory there, all the like. What, the centre of GMT, anyway. I love that. Uh, yeah, it's fascinating. <laughs> I mean, that was a real... From reading about it online, quite like all the stuff, documentation, including the Maritime Museum, which is, you know, basically the site of where where GMT is measured from, they're all like, oh, no one will ever know his motive. I think we could take a guess at his motive. Mm. He's an anarchist. Like, you know, this is a period about high anarchist terrorism in the 1890s in which, mm. like, across Europe, um, anarchists were engaging... In yeah, sort of acts of like militant violence, which is uh, where they get their bad name from, right? Where yeah. actually, like you and I know lots of anarchists. I'd say we're both kind of like anarchist adjacent, if not yeah. share very similar politics. And I have simply never wanted to firebomb anything. No, exactly. <laughs> and most anarchists I know, if anything, are too earnest. No, neither of us have like dreadlocks either, or, or or like drum and bass. So yeah, I've got to stop slaying your drum and bass. It's completely, completely unfair. It's fine. It's actually it's, also made a comeback. That's another yeah, time yeah. metaphor. It's comeback. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because um, also that's another thing. So like, it's really interesting. You know, the Make America Great Again, Donald Trump. Phraseology. Mm, mm, mm. He actually directly nicked that from Victor Orban. Directly lifted it no way. from Orban. Yeah, I didn't yeah. Know that. So it was um, make, make hungry great. Make again, hungry also. great again. Was it was harking back to kind of like early 
I believe, like early Hungarian society. And it was this idea that like, you know, current the current trajectory has failed. We need to go back, you know, start mm. the calendar at year zero. Mm. Again, you see a lot of like time metaphors in fascist. Also like, you know, I guess you'd say communist ideas, right? Any any kind of like vibe for power mm. inherently involves uh, often a grappling with the nature of time. Yeah, it's yeah. so important. This is the thing, like what I love. So like, it's not a cursed object in a sense, like, it's not a cursed object in the sense that like time is really difficult to pin down. So like it's not it's not really like an object to bring mm. in, but it is part of the absolute fabric of the everyday. It constitutes the everyday, right? Mm-hmm. Which is so up our street. It is. <laughs> it really is. It really is. I mean, on that note, like in terms of the everydayness of sort of the telling of time, did you ever watch when you were growing up? Have um, you ever had a watch? You know what? She's not wearing one right now. I got. Nice. You know, I got really a couple of friendship bracelets <laughs> from Camden Market. Sorry, I know I'm horrid. <laughs> Actually, my friendship bracelets are all from my mother. Oh, so now we feel bad. <laughs> Sorry, Cash's mom. <laughs> Except for one that's from Mexico. And there's actually, when I was in Mexico, I went to this phenomenal little, like, local history museum all about, like, um, temporality and time and how time was, like... I, honestly, I just stumbled into <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. About how, like, time... Like, the specific ways that time was mobilised under colonialism, like, shifted mm. how the society was how society was run, Mm. essentially. Like, you know, from, like, a very different conception of how... Of, like, yeah, I guess, like... Decolonial... Decolonial approaches to time are definitely a thing. Yes. Because if, like, everything's been imposed de facto from Greenwich, (laughs) weirdly, (laughs) as the centre of the universe... Yeah. Then, yeah, there's another example from South America of of a rebellion against that as as a sort of act of decolonial struggle... In 2014, in Bolivia, there was a similar thing to the Chavez example that I just gave, where um, they reversed the hands on all of the clocks, or certainly on like the ones they were in control of. Every, of anyway, um, to run anti-clockwise as a, as a quote as a proud affirmation of southernness, as in the southern hemisphere. Uh, th- so there's a quote from the Bolivian foreign minister about it. Um, the, the about the horological initiative. Wow, um, <gasps> I've got chills. Um, and it's intended. It was intended to help Bolivians rediscover their indigenous roots. So the foreign minister said, "We're in the south, and as we're trying to recover our identity, the Bolivian government is also recovering its Sarawi, which means way in Aymara." He said, "In keeping with our Sarawi or none, our clocks should turn to the left." Warming to his theme, David Chocohuanca said. Who said clocks always have to run the same way? Why do we always have to be obedient? Why can't we be creative? Oh, because it's yeah. yeah, because it's like been imposed, yeah. you know, essentially by by the by, yeah the colonial forces of the northern hemisphere. But also, this is what I mean in the sense that like you're giving that example of like okay, like the hands of the clock going counterclockwise. Even the mm. phrase counterclockwise or clockwise, right? Is like, yeah. Why is it counter? Yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah. like what what I what you know when you said that, my immediate reaction was. But how will it work? It could never work. That doesn't yeah, yeah. make sense. It doesn't work. Yeah. Of course it fucking works. The water goes round the, down the plug it's, hole the other way. Like it's, it's you literally know, so constructed. It's about the magnetic earth. Uh, yeah, okay, science. We don't do science. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. But like my response to that was like visceral. This is what I mean about how we defend time, about mm. how like time is so embedded in how we understand society. <laughs> people get really defensive of time. Yeah, and they get, and they get very, uh, you know, and, and particularly people who are, dependent on the policing of yeah. like the way that we quote unquote spend our time and mm. it's worth saying we alluded to it before but like the idea that time has a monetary value time is money mm. you know uh, and that therefore it is something you can spend Which, or waste yeah is the best example of basically the ep thompson thesis yeah, 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 you know, yeah. is it not yeah because he actually says in it time is money right yeah i think so it's That's just right, crazy because yeah. i think I, I can't remember when i read it but like i think i read that read it a while ago and I love the fact I've always remembered that bit because I'm like, is he like an influencer? Yeah, because it seems because what do you associate the phrase "time is money" with? I would sort of say 1980s sort yeah. of Reaganite sort yeah. of braces. Yeah, um, one of those weird shirts that has a, a different color collar to the actual bit of the shirt. Yes. Yeah. Sorry, I'm getting two in the weeds here. <laughs> but, but yeah, you know the the American psycho version yeah. of neoliberal capitalism, which is you know the forerunner to the hustle mindset mm. you know instagram influencer stuff that makes you feel guilty for not being for not being more quote-unquote productive you know as i heard someone say recently produce what 
what do I have to produce? Why should I have productivity yeah. guilt? Um, we're all conditioned to think in that way. And it's, you know, it's really as like office work, the kind of work that is very commonplace in the West now, mm. as opposed to, you know, we're not all on factory production lines anymore. The idea of clock watching is just the, the most heinous crime, isn't it? Like, you know, and I've, I found an example, an example of an article from, I think it was, it wasn't Business Insider, it was like Business News or something, which uh, just from last week which was called um, Eight Ways That Your Employees Are Practicing Time Theft. And it was, yeah, <laughs> genuinely, like this is, if you're the boss class or you're in some way connected to or invested in the um, needs, really tickled me. The needs <laughs> of the boss class, then you are worried about time theft, which yeah. basically means like employees doing anything that isn't working at any moment during the yeah. hours of the day. And it's a, it's a fascinating idea. Time is something that can be stolen from the boss by the employee. Mm. So like and time there's... time essentially becomes the commodity. Yeah. Time exactly. time is time, time is, is money. Yeah, time, time... <laughs> fill in your timesheets, yeah. clock on on time, clock off on time. Yeah, I think one of these eight examples of ways that people did time theft was not clocking on or off accurately. And obviously I don't know if people know this but like there used to be those phrases like oh when do you clock on when do you clock off? Mm. They they originate in an actual mechanized system yeah, yeah. in which people would have a punch card, mm-hmm. an individualized punch card that they would feed into this sort of clunky old bit of machinery that would indicate that they were definitely there. Mm-hmm. So they could prove they were definitely there. Mm-hmm. And these days it's like, oh, you know, if you're a 9am Zoom meeting or whatever. Well, I think also, I think one of the things within this is like how much a above and beyond you often do in the in the pursuit of work mm-hmm. so like you're often required to work outside of working hours you mm. know because you also think about it it occupies your thoughts so much yeah. do you know what i mean oh, so yeah. the like, creep of like extra yeah yeah through the, smartphones particularly so mark the, fisher wrote so well about it and like, the specter of work in general so yeah. if it's sunday night right sunday night is your night like you can do whatever you want with sunday night yeah. it's not work but actually, you have to start thinking about what you're going to do. The, the Sunday next day. scaries. Yeah, that's why it exists, right? Yeah. So, like, it, I think there's also a really interesting, interesting relationship here between like our our own like bodily like responses, circadian rhythms, like anxiety as well is a mm. really interesting mm. example, and mm. how time makes us anxious. Yeah, like time and anxiety, like both like time creates an anxiety in us because of the fear of like losing the time do you know what i mean the so okay it's the specter of of death in a sense like it's all of everything's about fear of death yes basically yeah well also i think it's interesting (laughs) how time is also gendered or rather like the expectations that we place on people are gendered in relation to time Mm. so like if you're a woman in your 30s the questions of like when are you gonna start having kids if you're gonna have kids you gotta fucking have them now is an incredibly... The ticking clock. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I actually, I read this, I think it was like one of Zadie Smith's books, maybe NW. Mm. And it's something that has always stuck with me about the idea that like women are heavy with time. Like she writes about how like women are heavy with time. Like men have so much less time expectations attached to them because of like how society views their biology. And I think that's like, you know, that's also really... Fucking annoying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair, fair. That's a good description of because, it. Because, like, you know, it, it it places no judgments on how, like, that person lives their life or, like, understandings of, like, you mm-hmm. know, their experiences other than, like, you are determined by your biology mm. and its relationship to time. And that's how other people see you. Yeah. And I think that, like, it's also about it kind of frames the relationships between men and women of a similar age as well, that, like, men are kind of framed as like being able to have like more fun and go out and do more things yeah you know yeah, yeah. They, like time reinforces gendered roles and stereotypes and, and not least because of that thing that you referred to before of like what is considered work and yeah. what is not yeah you know um uh, in the sense that like well domestic labor is not really labor is it sort of because it can't be measured in quite the same so. way. No, 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 joking, no. Don't take that quote out of context, please, and, and put it on our socials. Um, but yeah, you know, the, yeah, the idea that never making you a cup of tea. I hope you make such nice tea. Um, there was one other thing from like the office world. I just wanted to mention to you because it was something that just struck me: the gifting of a gold watch upon retirement suddenly Fucking struck hell. me as a really <gasps> profound thing. Because is this ironic? Because you no longer need to pay fastidious attention to the clock because you are free from work. Yeah. Um, 
is it is it ironic in that respect? Uh, is it actually kind of morbid because like timekeeping devices are sort of a marker of a measure of how long we've got okay. till death? Oh my god, I'm so I'm so excited by this. Okay, the first one is that I was listening to our Poirot episode the other day because I went oh. to Poirot's house. So yeah. it's in Florin Court, it's by the bar. Yeah, yeah, it was so good. It was really great. We had a really great time and I was really drunk and I was just like having the best time ever. <laughs> anyway. Um, <laughs> it's what Poirot would have wanted. That's I was listening to the Poirot episode and, um, you know, I was kind of, I, I was talking in it about how like it was almost a little bit like waiting for, <laughs> it was like God's waiting room watching yeah. Poirot on ITV3 because there's always Michael Parkinson RIP now yeah. selling a carriage clock you know it's like but it's like life insurance and then the gift would be a, like a was that like sorry a clock. was that a TV ad that he yeah, did yeah, yeah. really so it'd always be like a pen or a, or a like carriage clock like a gold kind of carriage clock and there is a really really interesting thing here that you're kind of identifying and there has been actually some work on like different forms of how we understand time so recently there's been theories um i think it was based on a Jose Saramango um book mm. all about how how do you experience time as you get older it's called it's like the concept is called wow. silver time wow. and it's like what do you do with time when you know that like you're nearing nearing death you so suddenly have a lot you... more of it yeah but like but how also you... it's really the fine finitude finitude yeah of yeah. your life and your time exactly so like how is... do you make those years and those things meaningful when you're not building towards a future because that future is short so like it's really fascinating in terms of like i think he in his book there's this idea that there is like a generation of like uh, like older people who are like constantly plagued by the questions of what they do mm. so like i think it like re it redefines what we consider meaningful and how mm. we relate to the quote unquote future. So like even the right. even the ideas of past, present and future are so embedded in how we understand our lives mm -hmm. that like, I mean, often it's said that um, capitalistic time and democratic time is myopic. Like it only focuses on the present. But mm. actually, and like that's why that I don't know whether you hear this often. There's ideas that like after people retire, like, oh, it's the, like it feels like it's the end of their life. And it's not because mm. there's so many years to yeah, yeah. to like phrase. So like there's one there's one idea around silver time, basically. Can I just pick a thing you said there about democratic time? Yes. Being fixated on the present. Yeah. Does that mean like or maybe this is a separate point, but the the best example I can think of is our current class of politicians won't do anything about climate change because they are only interested in getting, getting elected next yes, year. Yes, yes, right? this so, is exactly it. Whereas, so a problem, I mean, obviously it's already here, but, you know, they, they won't address long-term problems because they're only interested in the short term of getting yeah. re-elected. And that will continue to be a problem because yes. they are not being... They're not going up against an electorate of people who live in 2100 no, AD no. because that will all be dead. This is why it took so fucking long to sort out the ozone issue, why it took so long, like CFCs and a all of anything that. Long -term anything long-termist. Anything really. long-termist. Yeah. You know, like democracy and our kind of de democratic political structures. Mm. You know, we've, we've, we've mentioned how, like, time is political, right? Yeah, yeah. So, like, our democracy is obviously no different. So, okay. like... Because of the way that people are elected, because of those short amounts of time, yeah, like there is an idea that democratic democratic time is myopic. It just it just yeah, focuses yeah. on the concerns of the present. Yeah. That's not always true. Like time is mobilized in different ways. There's often the rhetoric of future proofing, for example. So things like the Holocaust have often been, especially in the 1990s, and especially around the time of the millennium, were framed as learn about the Holocaust because it will be a never again. So learn about it, like education as a way of like future proofing mm. against future genocides. Obviously, we know that that doesn't work um, because genocides happen and concerns change and like, you know, how people understand society changes. Right. Mm. So it doesn't really it doesn't really translate that like you can necessarily do things for the future. But the metaphor is there and it's politicized. Right. right? The intention. Exactly. Certainly. The intention is yeah, certainly yeah. there. So, I mean, there are a number of different theories around like. Really interesting. I'm like, this is my favorite bit about thinking about time, about how we think time operates in different circumstances. So mm. there's been like a lot of stuff, which is why I'm talking really quickly because I'm like, I'm so excited. Um, <laughs> but there's been a lot of stuff about deep time, about how, um, wow. you know, you can What's measure. That? Deep time is um, the time of geology, really, like the time of rocks. Oh. So how you can measure like that, you know, because when you think about it, we are just a blip in terms of yes. the... In terms of the Ooh. extent of like human history, well, not actually human history, into the extent of the history of the world, right? The planet. So deep time is about how you tap into those longer. Try and histories. think, think in yeah ways that are less 
it's uh, yeah that that take in the magnitude of mm-hmm. the you know the the length of time that human beings and their predecessors indeed or just all living things so relatedly a school friend of mine's hippie-ish dad had a hippie-ish t-shirt which measured how long human history well no sorry how, measured the history of life on the planet as if it were a 24-hour day and in this so this was on a t-shirt yeah somehow wow. it was just like all listed wow all the details were listed it was a it, it wasn't cool but it was quite interesting <laughs> uh, so like in this telling i'll bet i bet i can find a jpeg of this exact same thing online it's something like if the history of the planet was 24 hours then like the first things crawled out of a swamp on four legs mm. in like at like i don't know 11 p.m say right. and uh the birth of jesus christ if jesus christ existed was at sort of 11 55 p.m yeah or something yeah, yeah, or 59 yeah. That's p.m time. and like in the industrial revolution was at 11 59 mm. and 40 seconds mm. and you know and it's a way of considering how much fucking damage we've done yeah. in the last quote 10 seconds <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 it's fascinating isn't it yeah i guess like one kind of like final example i'm I've been thinking quite a lot about politics and time. One of the kind of like things I was thinking about was um, the Liz Truss premiership <laughs> matched with the lettuce thing. Oh my God. Because I just thought it was really... What a great way of measuring time that was. Well, exactly, right? Because it's like, what will last longer? This like, like renownedly very difficult to keep fresh, like mainly made of water, very susceptible to yes. dehydration. Uh, politician no wait no. No. <laughs> salad vegetable yeah sorry salad vegetable sorry yeah yeah you know and i think what's really interesting about that is it captured the imagination of you know like school kids were talking about it like so no many way, yeah, wow. yeah. so many people it really captured the imagination of like everyone in the uk my serbian cousin was like like literally like hi kasha <laughs> haven't, haven't spoken for a while yeah. but, but what about Who's, that letter yeah hey? what's going on with the letter my american cousins yeah. got in touch about it too okay so like i think it really i mean obviously <laughs> because there is an absurdity to it right yeah, yeah. the absurdity of like measuring a prime minister like a prime minister's reign, minister, yeah. reign yeah. ministership in, you know, alongside a lettuce, right? It's absurd. But it wasn't just like, here's a clock, how long will she last? No. It's like measuring it against something like actually physically material. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, which sort of brings it to life in a very different way. Yeah. yeah if very they, E.P. Thompson. If, they, if they'd started a stopwatch where yeah. at the beginning of her... I mean, then I would have still been material, I suppose. But it was you're right, it was the fact that it was an organic sort of natural mm. way of measuring time, which we all, you know... We all have other ways. Like I noticed during the pandemic, um, there's a tree outside my... Yeah, you I love this. this. So I there's a tree this. outside my bedroom window, right? Um, outside our block of flats. And it's a great tree. It's huge. I don't know what variety it is because I'm rubbish with plants <laughs> and, and indeed trees um, and uh, horticulture generally. But I noticed... So when was the first lockdown? Was it 10th of March it started? 20th of March? Something like that. The 1st of April was the first day that the leaves uh, blossomed. Yes. Is that the right term? Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, and, uh, and, a, and a beautiful day. And like on any other year, and I'd been living in that flat for at least four, four years before this point, uh, on any other year, I wouldn't have noticed the exact day that yeah. it happened. I probably would have noticed two or three days mm-hmm. in, said to my flatmate, Oh, hey, did you see the trees come into bloom? How lovely. But because we were confined to that space, that, you know, time, as I sort of mentioned briefly before, went weirdly stretchy during the Mm. pandemic. It became harder to sort of distinguish the days from the weekends. Um, You know, I think a lot of us commented at the time that, you know, you had to sort of introduce a bit of routine to your lives, actually, into Mm. this very strange, discombobulating, uncanny valley of the lockdown. But also that you were noticing your surroundings more than you would in your usual frantic city dwelling late capitalist mm. 21st century life. And so, yeah, that was a not to be all like, wait, what was the meme again about how like na- nature is returning? <laughs> that was it. It wasn't that, you know, I had re- sort of returned to some sort of pastoral pre-industrial state of mind. Mm. But I did notice 
the exact day that the tree came into bloom. And so ever since, every year since 2020, I, as March has proceeded, I've I've sort of been, well, not checking my watch exactly, but I've been, I've been like, oh, it's going to come into bloom soon. I wonder if it's going to be exactly on the 1st of April again. Mm. And more or less, it is. Mm. But I now notice that. Like, I think as how, a marker, you know? I think how we, like, understand current societies and also the past through time is really fascinating because I've got a similar thing with trees but like in a very different context that when when I was doing stuff with the Holocaust Educational Trust it was always really really tricky like you don't know what time of the year is going to be like the hardest time to go Mm. to Auschwitz right Mm. or like to go to those to go to that camp complex so if you go in there hardest how hardest because if you go in the summer it's really hot and oh, right. you get a really strong sense of like po- like Poland, that bit of Poland, the summers are really hot. The winters are really, really cold. Yeah. So I've gone in like minus five. Mm. I've gone in like plus 40 or whatever. Bloody Do you know hell, what I mean? So yeah. it's like one of these things that like you are there at this time and it shows it shows this, the students who are on the trip like a lot about that experience, right? Like, mm. obviously, there is no sense of, like, claiming historical authenticity. Like, you no. do not know what it was like during the Holocaust. But obviously. you do know what it's like to be really fucking cold. Yeah. And even then, you don't really know what it's like because you've got warm boots on and whatever. Yeah, um, yeah. And one of the times is I went during autumn and, like, the trees were, like, turning and, you know, the leaves are falling on the ground. And it was, like, aesthetically really beautiful. Mm. And I found that really, really impossible. And there is a yeah. tree outside my house yeah. that was doing the similar thing that was so beautiful. And I just broke down in tears when oh I'm, like, looking God. at this tree. Because you are reminded that, like, the seasons... I mean, I know that climate change is going to change how the seasons operate. But you are reminded sure. in that moment that, like, seasons are unchanging in that way, right? Mm. That, like... And sort of relentless and sort of uncaring almost in there exactly. for the for the human experience or... Exactly, exactly. There isn't a milder winter because of what the what is yeah, ha- what humans are doing to other humans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. it was just, like, this really weird... This really weird way, I think, I was relating to the idea of, like, how we understand history, mm. how mm. we understand mm. time as part of that, but also mm. how we... Like respond to the events of That's the past so and make sense of them. That's so interesting and so touching that yeah, the the tree your tree at home, which is, you know, yeah. in North London in a very happy place, you yeah. know, still had that could carry that sort of that historical weight yeah. and, and, and that same resonance. Anyway, I know this is supposed to be a celebration. It is a celebratory <laughs> episode, but <laughs> that was... Is, this is always me. I always do this. I'm like, I'm going to tell you about like my really harrowing experiences as like a historian of like very difficult histories. Um, but no, that is super interesting. I, I have so many other bits and bobs from the E.P. Thompson essay that I want to share, but I think I'll, I think we've already been talking for quite a while and we should continue <laughs> celebrating our 50th yes. asterisk uh, episode even if it's actually our 53rd or our 54th or something who can say let's not pin things down stop measuring things stop putting things in boxes it's too normative uh, it is however i will tell you this one other one last fact from the from the ep thompson thing that blew my mind so fordism and post fordism mm. are things that occasionally get mentioned on this podcast Fordism is the name that was given to the set of practices used by the Ford Motor Company um, that was set up by Henry Ford. Uh, It's a very mid-20th century sort of form of work and industrial capitalism, Mm. which revolves around the production line and a forensic measuring of everything and making sure everything is done in a very regimented, mechanised, organised fashion, right? Mm. Uh, Post-Fordism is sort of uh, another in a way it's another way of saying neoliberal capitalism yeah. it's it's what happens when things start to get messy when um <laughs> i'm not going to not going to bore you all with a lengthy kind of attempts to explain uh like post fordism right now it's probably better to google I'd, it i'd love an ism what would <laughs> ca- what what would cashierism what would teaism be oh what boy what would ha- hancocksism be that's a that's a great question <laughs> Can we open another beer before we answer that? <laughs> um, but yeah, here's, so here's so like having told you that about Fordism and post-Fordism, like Fordism is this very, you know, it's the Ford Motor Company mm-hmm. with their sort of extremely um, sort of precise uh, production lines and systems and structures for, mm. for, for putting together the cars. Here's the bit that blew my mind. Henry Ford, in his, earlier in his career, began by repairing watches. 
How good is that? Oh, so like phenomenal. The fixation, like E.P. Thompson describes it as an ominous beginning, which I really like as well. <laughs> but like that's where he got his start. Wow. Um, in in you know work, I suppose the world of work was in repairing watches, and from there went on to devise a system that would transform kind of how yeah. how how hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of other people around the world worked not just in the Ford factories mm-hmm. but all the other ones too mm-hmm. I love it isn't it right once you start seeing like the politics of time you see it everywhere yeah you see the so way it's true. employed in so many different like everyday scenarios and situations yeah it really is like it is every because it, it's every day right yeah I mean but cash like... is late for something as we speak <laughs> <laughs> that's not that's not a joke <laughs> But, but that's not political. That's just no. uh, that's just unfortunate. That's just that's actually poor timekeeping. <laughs> and mine. I was late today. Uh, but that's because we're trying to disrupt time, listeners. How many times do we have to say it? Throw the beans at the clock. Gl- get them all. Get history all glooped up. Be late to a recording of Kirsten's fiftieth <laughs> anniversary episode. And apologise to your co-host. I'm so sorry, Kasha. Um, Can I just say though, isn't it? Isn't it crazy that we've been doing this for three years now? Bloody hell, is that right? Three years, Dan. Yeah, yeah. We've been like, you know, not always like putting out loads of episodes and whatever, because it, like, you know, but certainly the idea. It was autumn 2020, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. it was in between the first handing in of my, it was in between the handing in of my PhD and my Viva that we mm. met up and you were like, you should do a podcast. And I was like, I'm not doing it without you. <laughs> yep. That's how I always tell people how it happened. <laughs> I just wanted Kasha to start a podcast. <laughs> I couldn't have done it without you, though, because you're like the other half of my brain. Right. Oh, that's very sweet of you. Well, likewise, it's been a, it's been a great 50-ish episode <laughs> and three-ish years. <laughs> See, vague. Vague I just is think, good. I just think back to those like early, you know, those kind of early years of us getting it started. And I just think about how, you know, like actually starting a podcast because it's like quite a broy, sounds like a kind of like broy, like we should start a podcast. And it kind of beca- has become. Oh, it's very a, your boyfriend. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and it's become really synonymous with a lot of people that have like fucking loads of opinions, but like they're not very good, but they like really like the sound of their own voice, which I hope is not us. I think opinion, yeah. our opinions, our opinions are, are good. <laughs> the sound of our own voice but our opinions are good crucially well I yeah I think so I think so but like obviously also like by by the listeners like the fact that you guys are still listening really means a lot to us it does it does indeed yeah we really appreciate it we couldn't have done it without you and that goes for all of the listeners but um yeah special mention to anyone who's provided any financial support via our Patreon (laughs) which you can find at (laughs) patreon.com slash cursedobjectsuk four pounds a month you get lots of extra episodes but but anyone who's like ever sent us a message or a dm mm. or, or told a, a friend or t- exactly or a tweet or whatever or shared something after listening to one of the episodes that happened in their life that was vaguely similar or an insight that you know has broadened out uh, our understanding of the the themes that we love to discuss or has just sent us a photo of something cursed like it happens all the time and there are a lot of objects out there so yeah here's the next 50 eh Hope so. 50 ish. 50 ish. Thanks, listeners. Love you. Bye. Bye.